You're listening to STEM Essential, an Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council podcast. Hear from leading advocates and voices about why STEM education is crucial for our world today and tomorrow. Welcome, everybody, to Series 4 of STEM Essentials, podcasts featuring some of Iowa's and the nation's leading thinkers in STEM. This series is all about Iowa STEM Decade and Beyond. I'm Jeff Weld, Director of Iowa STEM Council. We are an edunomic development initiative where education and economic development merge to improve lives and communities. The people we're hearing from are edunomic developers commingling jobs with learning. Today, featuring a national, indeed international STEM education thought leader and vanguard, Jan Morrison founder and senior partner at the Teaching Institute for Excellence in STEM and co-designer of the STEM Ecosystems Learning Network launched in 2015. It's a global community of 94 organizations to which Iowa belongs. Jan is a highly sought after consultant on all things STEM. She's worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Battelle Memorial Institute, the Carnegie Corporation, Innovate to Educate, the Woodrow Wilson Foundation, Chevron, Siemens, numerous statewide STEM networks, as well as the White House and the Department of Education for the past four administrations, parenthetically, yours truly included as one of those beneficiaries. So Jan's joined us today to explore the topic, culture change at the classroom level and the school level and the community and the state levels. Thanks, Jan, for sitting down with me. So happy to be here. Thanks, Jeff, really appreciate it. Outstanding. Well, let's start by inviting our listeners, STEM literate Iowans, young and old, to get to know you a little bit. Tell us how and when and why, Jan, you initially decided to get involved in STEM education in the first place. Well, it's a great question, but I have to tell you I was born into it. Um, My father was a practicing physician at the age of 19. My mother was on the Manhattan Project. So, and I'm the eldest in the family. Was there anything else that was going to happen? Not in our family. And I had a complete love of it. And of course, we didn't call it STEM. But the way I was taught to look at the world was STEM. It was to ask the kinds of questions and look for the evidence in this, for solutions that weren't just bound by the disciplines themselves, but were really a part of how nature offered it or how man-made on an engineering level tinkered with it. So, and, and from the beginning, it was a love. It was a passion, whether I was out with birds or I was creating STEM playgrounds or whatever I was doing. So, um, so it seemed like the right thing to do. And when, this, it, when the um, acronym came along, it was one that fit beautifully. <laughs> STEM was your destiny, if ever there was such a person. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you and I share a common history. We're both former teachers and former school administrators. And so STEM has erupted here in the last, I guess we could argue whether it's been the last decade, the last 20 years, but relatively recent in in geologic time. So as a former teacher and administrator, what was the... uh, to use the phrase unscratched itch. What was the unscratched itch in schools that STEM is scratching now? 
It's a great question, but I think what STEM actually has evolved to, and it's over that really couple of decades, Jeff, is um, the ability to address the mindset, a mindset of um, what we need in schools. We've always needed to have children ask the kinds of questions that help them to make sense of the world. Um, and we knew, always talked about the fact that um, the kinds of resolution of those questions and the work to pursue an understanding of how the world works wasn't going to be disciplinary, but yet we were working in that context. What STEM really did is it gave us the glue to put amongst all the subjects uh, it, for math to be contextualized and be the, be the, the logic behind the sciences. Um, for the sciences to truly take their role, not only in what nature presents, but what man has been able to do and so on. And as an educator, it made just sense. It made sense to start to, to have a, an acronym that described that, that we could speak commonly amongst ourselves across disciplines, and that there was a pursuit for um, excellence and for betterment of communities around this as well. Yeah, so if I'm interpreting you correctly, and listeners will let me know, I'm sure if I'm not, you're saying that uh, the the need and the and and the itch that has existed in schools um, had solutions, but STEM is another tool brought to the table to to be that glue to uh, to bring the transdisciplinarity, to bring the connection to community, to unite the disciplines and the skill sets of a modern graduate. That's right, and I, I, I think we needed permission. And what STEM did was to give us that moment to look again and to investigate and understand once again what we already really knew, um, but in the context now of having permission to move that ahead and to understand that the transdisciplinary nature of the way the world works could be brought into an educational environment. And that um, so could the, the fact that that we as people, as engineers, could tinker with it and could create solutions in the context of school. And it didn't happen to have to happen only in an after school setting as well. Right. Well, I think the vision that you bring to the table that makes you a, a nationally renowned, internationally renowned leader in STEM education is you brought a perspective to STEM before it was STEM, back when it was SMAT or whatever it was. It was. Born of Born of, uh, I think, the defense industry, if I have my history right, right STEM was right. a mandate coming out of the defense industry that they don't have enough physicists and technicians and engineers, more STEM, but they didn't mean more STEM the way you're meaning STEM. Am I right? That's right. They didn't. So you put a twist on it, which I think has been now embraced around the world, but it must have been a lonely community when you first reinterpreted the, the imperative for STEM to be more of a school-based uh, holistic vision for education. It was. It was. It was something that where the dialectic and the discourse had to evolve, and it had to be something that wasn't threatening. We weren't changing everything and wiping the slate clean in science education and in science, technology, and society and in mathematics. What we were doing is finding those natural spaces in which to interface things in which to find some real value in how they, they were transdisciplinary and then to put some language around it. And the more we did that, the more it made sense and the less risk was involved. Yeah, and clearly clearly resonates with a wide and vast community of educators. Jan, put a year on it. When, 
if you assign a year to when you first got um, deep into STEM enough to consider yourself a, a STEM practitioner, STEM thought leader? So there was a meeting at National Science Foundation and it was 2001, 2000, 2001. And that's when SMET was, the, the word was so, was being batted around and nobody really liked the word. It just was not something that they felt had any value, although the, the, the thinking behind it did. And it started to evolve. I would say in 2005, we gathered at the National Academy of Engineering um, and we were a group that put together what was called Seek 16, Strategies for Engineering Education K-16, which is the lighting up of tick, the T and the E in the STEM. And as soon as we did that, we had 800 different institutions at that meeting. And, as, and that started the discourse and the drive for a better understanding of what STEM was. And I think from then on, we could actually say, you know, I'm working in the field of STEM. And people would ask, but they would ask, not be real quiet about it. <laughs> yeah, your, uh, your historical perspective uh, reminds me and reminds Iowans how really our, our history is relatively infantile comparatively. I mean, you were, you were in STEM in 2001, 10 years later, 2011, we kick off the Governor's STEM Advisory Council here in Iowa. In fact, you were, uh, some of the listeners might recall, gracious enough to fly to Iowa, to Des Moines, to the Science Center of Iowa, and keynote that very first STEM Council meeting in October of 2011, giving us a, a really nice jump start. And so what I want you to do is reflect on that uh, 2011 and the remarks that you had for us that uh, really lit our fires and, and uh, I think are, are certainly part of the credit for launching us to be what we are today. But you're still giving jumpstart talks. I mentioned in your intro that you're at 94 STEM ecosystems around the world. So I know that annually, probably monthly, you're going somewhere on planet Earth and doing a similar jumpstart here in 2021. Tell us, how, how has your message evolved from the, the words of wisdom you bestowed upon Iowa in 2011 to the words of wisdom you're bestowing now to launch new STEM organizations? I think what we did in 2011 um, was together, was um, groundbreaking. Uh, what I first, I, I have to say, the messaging in 2011 that came from me wasn't anywhere near as important as the messaging that came from Iowa about their own needs and what they were anxious and excited to do and willing to partner. And I, I think that's why at that time, that meeting was so important. The other thing is that it was held in the, from the governor's office and your work with the governor at that time and, um, and the lieutenant governor. Uh, I think that was what made things different. If you fast forward to now, what's the difference? The messaging is that everything that we spoke about at that meeting is 100% true and more. And the more is around STEM as a mindset. We didn't speak about computational thinking or coding. We didn't talk about design thinking and literacy. We talked about STEM driving from the perspective of design, but we didn't actually embed it into a daily classroom to, um, and the importance of, of, of teaching and learning. We also didn't speak about grand challenges. We talked about the importance of STEM in the world to a global market and making a difference in, from, uh, in what our children's lives would be like as they forge their own futures. But what we didn't say is that the, the earth had its grandest challenges and the STEM part of 
growing up and being confident and feeling secure, whether you're in the profession or not, or just living a STEM life is going to be vital to solving those grand challenges that we're all part of. And in the last year and a half, we even more profoundly with this pandemic. So, so I think what's happened is that we set the, the, the really strong foundation from which to grow contextually on what the planet really needs and the communities within Iowa itself and then the greater country itself. Yeah, very well put. So my interpretation, dist distilling that perhaps maybe, is that the message is the same. STEM education is still about unification of, of all the forces in a, in a common direction toward a sustainability and economic vitality and opportunity across the student uh, spectrum. But there's more tools available. In 2011, there was no next generation science standards. There was no, um, th there were no grand challenges from the engineering societies. There were no UN sustainability goals. Right. There wasn't the code.org. There's a lot more players now that you can cite in your 2021 launch speeches that you couldn't cite back then. Right, and I think it's authentic now. I think it's a little less wishful and right now it's more reflecting of reality, more authentic. So is that to say that uh, the states, or in some cases nations, and certainly in a lot of cases regions that you're now welcoming as new STEM ecosystems have a distinct advantage when your speeches to them aren't a hopeful, uh, fingers crossed, pie in the sky, I hope you're still here in five years, there's much more likelihood of success? Right, that's exactly right. Um, we're not we're not still saying no, not stem cells, which is, you know, when you go back to my PowerPoints in those early years, the first four slides said no, not stem cells. You know, that's that's a given. And the the value proposition of a, a quality stem education and a life lived around stem is something that we don't have to argue. What we're really doing now is really driving for how do we achieve that for all children? Where is the equity in this? How do we ensure that the, the most rural of Iowa really has what, what Des Moines has? And how, do, how are we assured that those children see themselves as uh, with the opportunities before them and that they're confident that they can do that? And so the social emotional part, learning part has entered into STEM and that's been a really vital tool um, because it speaks to the equity and opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're gonna, I, I definitely wanna explore culture with you a little bit more in, in a minute, but I'm gonna precede it with a, uh, a question about the how. You, you mentioned we, we've already gone through the why and the what, those were the early days. Why STEM, what is STEM, why does it matter? And we weathered that. And, I'm so uh, grateful and proud in a way that Iowa has been weathered that period and rallied the forces and and uh, and deliver the services now. But now we're definitely turning toward how. How do we reach more kids? How do we be more impactful um, and, and produce the product that the community writ large is depending on? So I think you've characterized our, our progression nicely. So I wanna talk a little bit about the state of Iowa um, I'm not looking for too much uh, bragging points from you, Jan, but you are an external point of view, and you do have dozens and dozens of other STEM organizations under your watch. So give me just a little bit of Iowa-centric perspective, and you know the Iowa story pretty darn well. We've stayed connected, and I'm forever grateful, and you know uh, how we um, 
how we operate. So comparatively, give the Iowa listener an idea of something that you think Iowa is doing well or has done well when you look across the spectrum, something we really got going right that we don't want to mess up, but then conversely, and almost more importantly, point out something we could improve on dramatically that you've seen elsewhere improved upon that we could learn from. Well, first and foremost always comes to mind is the depth of understanding that you have in Iowa and the connection between K-12, PK-20, and workforce. Your the understanding from the beginning the importance of STEM as not just an education project, but that it is part of a greater alignment with what, what workforce needs to look like for Iowa to be, um, to be not just speaking about its future and being hopeful about it, but actually executing it and being part of forging that future economically, bring, thriving, bringing new industries, bringing new opportunities in healthcare, um, bringing research to the state. Uh, you have to have a workforce. And that doesn't start by, by with the kids that are in the universities. That that is part of it, but it has to be that you have that that vision of that alignment from the beginning. It, um, you you've spoken about it that way. You live it that way, and you've demonstrated to the country that uh, um, the middle of our country in the Midwest can be as enlightened as the coastlines, if not even more, in bringing about its own ability to thrive and to grow. So I, I think that, that has, that's how I've spoken about Iowa for, for countless number of years to other states, to other, other um, ecosystems starting to just think about this, and even to other countries. You know, Jeff, when we were in Israel, together and you were helping so much with the ecosystem and jump-starting the STEM ecosystems there, I, in bringing you there and speaking about what the value proposition that you brought, it has to do with workforce um, significantly. So I think that that's, that's, that's really important. I, I think that your um, newer vision, and it's, it's happening and you're working on it, is bringing this to the younger to the younger children throughout the state. So early childhood, what does early childhood STEM look like? What does that look like in the context of your actual early childhood centers, of your head starts, of your kindergartens? And also what does it look like in the range of homes that you have? Because you have those incredibly dynamic urban centers and then you have the rural areas that are pervasive throughout the state all with amazing families and children. How do they understand how they get involved as families and parents and light up STEM for their youngest of children? And I think that's a noble, um, a noble challenge. And it's not that you haven't started it, you have, and that you're not doing executing on a vision, you are. But that's something that we have to keep going at. Excellent. Excellent free advice, Jan. We're so grateful. In fact, I, I want to acknowledge your your citing of the success Iowa has had in connecting the worlds of business with the worlds of education are directly attributable to our leadership. Obviously, Governor Reynolds has, has uh, advocated for that strong point of emphasis since our launch, and it's trickled throughout the STEM Council members, many of whom live and breathe this uh, nexus business connection to education brand that I'm so proud to hear you uh, uh, recognize Iowa for uh, really developing. And then interestingly and relatedly, 
the early childhood point of emphasis, you and I are both passionate, strong advocates for early childhood STEM education. And isn't it interesting, though, that there is a little bit of a, a gentle tension there that nobody doubts the vitality and the importance and the imperative of reaching kids early and inspiring them to hit the ground running with uh, robust STEM competencies in both the skill sets and knowledge. But, you know, when resources are finite and uh, people have, uh, 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 let me say, just short-term uh, outlooks sometimes in terms of the immediate future, preparation for workforce readiness can bump heads with early childhood STEM. Some will say, focus on the juniors and seniors, because by golly, we need them in the workforce tomorrow. And when we say, well, we better start early with the four or five-year-olds, they'll look at their watch and say, I do not have time for this. Uh, we got to solve this today and tomorrow. Right. Right. I, I think you're right. And I think it, that disparity of perspective is has to be re resolved. I do also feel that um, our parents are eager to be, play a role in that. And that's something that um, that the pandemic did did is that it brought our parents and our whole families involved in children's in the youngest of children's education and a different perspective. And we just leveraged that. So even if there are not additional resources that are really applied in great, huge ways, um, just enlightening them and continuing for that, having them continue to feel that they're supported and they have guidance, that's going to go a long, long way. Yeah, yeah, that's all part of that uh, uh, culture, that fabric of STEM culture that I know you um, uh, strongly push. In fact, let me talk a little bit about culture with you. It's about so much of your advice and so much of your experiences around shifting the culture of a community, of a school, of an organization, of, of a town, of, of parents, of policymakers, of state leaders, whomever it might be, at the school level, the community level, whatever it is, Culture shifts take time. We both know that. People's attention spans can be short. There's so many demands on attention. You talk about schools and out-of-school educators, that the various imperatives and initiatives, especially post-COVID, that uh, everybody's wrangling with. And STEM uh, has to rise above all the noise and compete with a lot of other priorities and ultimately end up shifting a mindset, shifting a, a culture of a community or a school. Um, how do we how do we keep STEM not only in the mix but a priority and a, and a, and a culture shift in this environment? I, I think about this every day, and I think that is the the question. We run we have fatigue all the time in our in our own industries in education in the sciences um, throughout um, and even in workforce we fatigue and we want to look at the shiny penny. We're looking for something that's high gloss and that strikes us as something new. Um, so the way that we message STEM matters. It's gotta be fresh, it has to feel uh, vital, it has to feel current. Um, and it's important for all of us, we who have been around for a long time to tell those stories so that we are not deigned to repeat the history, so that we leverage it. But on the other hand, having um, watching the space programs, um, and seeing the new space shots and the space tourism jumpstart is an opportunity um, like we haven't had in a lot of years to renew that conversation about STEM, but in a different way. And yet to maintain that foundation and growth of the culture itself. Culture changes when there's real value. 
and when there's uh, the predictability is there and when it feels comfortable and the more it feels comfortable and the more it's owned on a grassroots level, the more it becomes part of a daily routine and therefore the culture of the, of the society or of, of the group itself. STEM is a is, as a word is, is there. The enactment of it has to continue to grow and feel fresh and important. It has to have that importance, but it also can't be risky. It has to be the way we go because it's going to be so self-fulfilling and provide for a future for our children. What we care about as families, as communities, as governments, and all units of an ecosystem, all units of our society are, are to provide for our children a life in which they can live well, be gainful, have their own children. And when STEM is associated with that, that cultural culture will always be there. Well put. There really is a major messaging component here that families, parents, communities can understand that STEM education can be uh, not necessarily a panacea, but certainly cures a lot of ills. You know, there's a economic uh, viability in STEM. There's equal opportunity in STEM. Uh, there's a disease inhibition in STEM. There's technological advancement in STEM. So many of the things communities need and want, we just got to do a really good job of marketing. Right. This can get you there. This is a vehicle. I, I have a, a dream that, you know, when you enter our state, there are signs on the highway that say, welcome to Iowa. Fields of dreams, I'm pretty sure. Fields of opportunity right. is the current tagline. Someday I'd love to replace that or maybe subhead it with Iowa, a STEM state of mind. And we're, we're getting there. There are some parts of Iowa that truly are STEM communities and certainly some schools that are uh, rocking the STEM brand. But as a state, I'm not sure we're there yet. I'm not sure we've uh, shifted the entire statewide culture yet. We're, we're about three quarters of the way there, I think, by some indicators we collect. But do you know of a community that has fully uh, executed a culture shift to STEM education? Is there such a place? Yeah, Tulsa, Oklahoma is, a, is my example. Um, oftentimes when I'm asked that question. There, you can, tap, you can tap somebody on the shoulder walking down the street in Tulsa, Oklahoma and start a conversation about STEM. And it, it will not be the same conversation from one person to another, but you're not going to have to start at zero and explain what STEM is. And it's going to be something that is owned and understood in their own context, but also owned. And they have worked, Tulsa has worked tirelessly to bring that about in every, for every single space, um, whether it's the schools, whether it's a supercomputing center, whether it's business and industry, if the universities, the, the mayor's office, and so on and so on. And the reason it has resonated is that it has become visible. To your point about um, a state, a STEM state of mind, um, I have we have in Cleveland the most wonderful CEO of our schools here, who often says it's got to go on the side of a bus, because that's where people's lives are are on the side of the bus, at least in Cleveland, and that's and those messages have to resonate where you live and how you work, and that's what Tulsa has done. Um, and I think that, and I would say, Jeff, that I, I think Iowa is there. And the way to get them, those who aren't quite there yet, is for them to understand that they are part of a great, a greater whole. 
and that that pushes them and that gives them the impetus to be even better than what they are right now because the STEM state of mind is a brilliant tagline. I love it. <laughs> I don't know that we'll get the uh, highway department to embrace it, but thank you. So one more question about Tulsa for our instruction, and that is, I, I can't decide whether Tulsa, which to my recollection is a relatively new ecosystem, and so it's interesting to hear you cite Tulsa readily as a culture shift community. Would you say it was more of the three possible tactics that I can imagine, it was either programming, communication, or policy. Uh, which of the three, or was it parts of all three, got them where they are so swiftly? Oh, it's all, it's all three, but it's all, it's all about leadership. It's all about leadership. It's about the champions. And, and what Tulsa did was that champions came from every sector. They understood that they couldn't be where they were, and that if they weren't going to champion it, um, and come together as leaders so that leadership, it wasn't just a single leader that had to lead them. And in designing it and working in countless months of design, the leaders were there. They, they found the time given to the design was their, was their responsibility. So I think, I think to your point that it's all of those things. Policy has to be there. You've got to get a ground game and get it going. That leadership is everything. But I would point to Iowa on this. One of the reasons why from 2011 on, Iowa has been an example is the leadership. And it's the leadership, no doubt, in the, the state leadership itself, but it's also you, Jeff. And I have to say, even in Israel, they speak about Jeff from Iowa. They don't remember your last name, but they speak about your message even there. And I think that 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 has that's so critical. And not just the the longitudinal um, leadership that you've provided because you've always been there, even when you were in the government in um, in D.C., you were still um, an Iowan in the government. Um, but the fact is that you have grown, you have, you have impressed people to, the, to do their best and to not stay where they are because there's always the, better, the betterment that, that's so important. Yeah, got to keep striving. Well, thank you for that, by the way. By the way, listeners, that was a non-compensated endorsement of yours, truly. Thank you so much, Jan. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Last question I think we have time for is this. The STEM movement, and I'm using movement with air quotes, no one can see me, but movement in air quotes uh, is often how it's perceived. This is a movement like other movements. It'll come, it'll go, as education has has been known to do over the, the century. But here we are, year 10, still seeking our stride. I think it's fair to say, yes, we've made wonderful milestones together. And that's definitely together, Jan. We certainly get as much as we give to the national landscape. Uh, for sure. And, sure. and here in Iowa, learning so much as we go. But now we look another half decade to a decade out, and uh, we're thinking about culture, and we're thinking about early childhood, and we're thinking about inclusion and diversity and uh, keeping ourselves shiny and front burner, uh, moving from a movement to an enculturated uh, reality in school systems and in communities in partnership with business and so on. Uh, what advice would you give us looking forward from our first 10, which we'll call foundational, to our next 10, which we'll call scaffold building. I think that what's coming for Iowa is forging the future. I think it's not only scaffold building. Uh, I think that agritech and um, the importance of food security and food 
and in our in our globe in our planet is only at a, hasn't even reached the tipping point. And I think that STEM approach and understanding how you've gotten to where you are and applying that to what's going to be needed for this planet comes from Iowa. And I see that as forging the future. So the, the discourse and our conversation five years, 10 years from now, God willing, is going to be, it's going to be different because it's going to be about how the, the globalization um, has actually made a difference in, in Iowans' lives. So it's not that everybody is going to travel to India and to China. But it is going to be that the understanding of the technology and of, of how to, to bring that about and create a workforce will. It'll be exported throughout the world. Oh, great advice. A domain we can and should own, ag tech, food safety, security, production. In fact, uh, for the steam movement out there around the world, when you come to Iowa, the A is for ag. No question. And, uh, <laughs> that's our steam. Uh, Jan Morrison, founder and senior partner at the Teaching Institute for Excellence in STEM and so much more. Thanks once again for giving Iowa STEM a jumpstart on a decade to come. You are a national STEM treasure. Thank you, Jan Morrison. Oh, well, thanks, Jeff. This has been delightful and a real honor for me. I appreciate this. Indeed. And I'm looking forward to joining you at your STEM State Fair. Thank you. Yeah, just a few weeks away, August the 22nd in Des Moines, Iowa, everybody. See you there. This has been episode four of our fourth series of STEM Essential podcasts featuring the voices of edunomic innovation brought to you by the Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council and sponsored by our wonderful partner, Alliant Energy. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for a very special guest who has led this organization since its start, the Honorable Kim Reynolds, Governor of Iowa and co-chair of Iowa's STEM Council. Today's and all STEM Essential podcasts are available at iowastem.org forward slash podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to STEM Essential. This podcast is generously sponsored by Alliant Energy, a proud partner of the Governor's STEM Advisory Council. To learn more and find resources, please visit iowastem.org.